This is The Shift Podcast. On The Shift Daily Podcast, so many exciting things from the show. Jesse Miller stopped by from Mediated Reality to talk about the pond hockey story about Calgary, the guy got arrested. But we don't really talk about that. It's the response online and what people are posting that causes the conversation on this one. Are You Okay is also on the podcast, embarrassing your kids. Do you want to control the weather? And we do our first attempt here on The Shift with Matt and Ryan and me, Shane, of reading a script, Christmas Vacation. We do our best to try to salute what we believe is the greatest movie of all time. All of this on The Shift Daily Podcast. Well, the story made viral. The story made the news. A pond hockey game gone awry in Alberta. A video made its way around Twitter, at least that's where I saw it, and around the internet too, of a, a pretty large man getting taken down by two lady police officers um, who were arresting the guy for breaking COVID rules. And uh, it went viral very quickly. I don't think the whole story was told. And there are some implications that are coming from this on social media. Jesse Miller, Mediated Reality, uh, social media guru guy, um, lots of interesting perspective on this, Jesse. Holy moly, where do we go? Probably start with the background on the story, I suppose. Yeah, so obviously each jurisdiction in each province is dealing with health orders in a variety of ways. And Calgary, no different than uh, where I am in British Columbia, has certain things about groups of people getting together in public. And uh, they're trying to enforce uh, people from the same household uh, operating in an outdoor space, especially with physical activities. And so what the background on this story is, is that uh, this young man, 21 years of age, playing pond hockey with his buddies, uh, obviously police got involved somehow through either a bylaw, uh, investigation or maybe somebody complaining. And, uh, it turns out, uh, in tr- them trying to issue tickets, he refused to give his name. Now in that you can't issue a ticket without the person revealing their name. There is a process in policing, obviously, when they have to identify who a person is and him not listening to police and not listening to their commands escalated to the potential deployment of a taser, uh, orders to not resist arrest. And obviously, I mean, policing too, I mean, we always kind of do these risk assessments when we see these, uh, you know, these videos kind of surface and people say, well, you know, why didn't the cop do this? Why did the cop do that? They're on foot on ice. He's got blades attached to his feet. He's not listening to commands. And uh, the arrest took a while. Uh, people are being very critical uh, and somewhat sexist in the sense of, you know, these women shouldn't be arresting people if they can't handle, you know, one guy. Uh, but there is a, a number of pieces of the story that Calgary police have released, but not necessarily the whole thing based on what we see in the video. And I would like to add, I mean, he is a large man and he's on skates, give it three more inches, and he wouldn't leave the ice. That's one thing. I mean, the officers were clearly um, not about to go onto the ice uh, because that just probably wasn't smart or safe. Now, for clarity in the video, because there was an awful lot of social media saying this is a bad look at the Calgary City Police um, and all that stuff. In the video, his own friends were saying, look, Ocean, get off the ice. Like, just come on, man, just get off the ice, right? Yeah, and, and, and that's, that's the thing. The, the buddies were trying to kind of edge him towards listening to what the police are trying to do. And whether it's a ticket or whether it's just them trying to establish identity, um, you know, them recording it, them adding some context to the video of, the, of even his own name, uh, that, that made it easier for people to identify actually who he was because the uniqueness of the name Ocean, uh, especially in the community, really did allow people to put the puzzle pieces together really quickly. So a very large man, um, 21 years old, and played in the WHL. So this is a, a guy who's not going to easily fall down off of his skates and clearly is skilled, and he, um, and he didn't go anywhere. Now, the implications of the conversation about this is the thing. Everyone can decide for themselves about rules and pond hockey and, and all the things. That's not what we're here to do. The, the, what happened was is there was a pond hockey game. There was a guy who was pretty high profile, refused to give his name, uh, got arrested. The arrest got ugly, and, um, and here's where we are. Now, on social media, there has been... Uh, an outpouring of support and a backlash against this family. His younger brother just got drafted into the NHL. Yeah. And 
what we're seeing with um, this younger brother getting drafted in the NHL is support coming from other hockey prospects and other hockey players being posted on social media. I had a conversation with my son, um, who is almost 16 and playing in the Alberta Elite Hockey League. So he is um, only a few years behind all of these guys. And he, um, we had a good conversation about, this is a good example, dude, about how your career changes quick. So help us understand the implications of the online conversation around um, Ocean Weisblatt's arrest and his younger brother and the online support of the hockey prospects. You know, it's really interesting. The hockey community is so diverse on social media. And I mean, part of my work, I've had the benefit of working not only with NHL teams, but WHL teams in social media education. So whether it was when social media itself was evolving, uh, NHL teams became a little bit more interested in knowing a little bit more about backgrounds on social media. How could they vet players? How could they give their players tools for success in communications online? But at the WHL level, I mean, it's such a weird mix because you can have a room full of kids who know how to play hockey. Maybe one has a chance, right? And there'll be those one-offs where they've already got an agent kind of set up. They've got a team behind them. But realistically here, you have organizations that really do rely on the player representing the best interest of the team, of the league and the community. So in that, when we have these players who are commenting on, let's say their buddy, you know, uh, posting something to social media, some of them actually have verified accounts because they're already affiliated to an NHL team. And so for the three individuals that are highlighted uh, on Twitter, um, they're verified accounts. Now, in my work, when I, when I try and add context to how people have commentary about things, I usually redact information. I block out people unless, of course, it's entirely obvious of who they are. But with these individuals, because you're verified, there's also a bit of a social responsibility in how you're choosing to add commentary. And there is a bit of a difference from what you would say to your buddy with leg taps and kind of highlighting something and saying, hey, you know, I know you're going through a hard time. Let's leave it in the locker room. Let's have that conversation there. But putting it publicly and aligning yourself with an individual now who's very much indicating that they are an anti-masker. I mean, he's aligning himself with interviews, especially with uh, far right media. He's aligning himself with individuals who are putting out support for him. Him, who very much are putting out these diatribes about why COVID is a hoax. And so for other individuals, yeah, you want to support your friend, but you do have to put your own risk assessment in for your career prospects and what it's going to look like when a team is being berated by people on social media saying, hey, look, you drafted an anti-masker or a supporter of that. Well, and his comments to Ocean's comments on the tweet today, as as found on Twitter, were basically, uh, we are not done. This is only the start. I'm doing this for my freedom and yours. The mask on your face is enforced by government. Should be your choice to wear or not wear. So he does go on and on um, from that perspective. And that's where we start to see comments from other prospect hockey players. And is there a big difference, Jesse, between, hey, man, glad you're okay through all this? versus um, the respect brother at a boy and uh, sending uh, heart emojis out on Twitter. I think at this point, the majority of prospects uh, or even individuals who are first, you know, first couple of years in the league should see enough stories where people have fallen from grace involving social media in the NHL and really recognize where some teams actually have zero tolerance for the garbage that really does come from maybe just a little bit of a nudge towards your buddy online. Now, there's a big difference between liking something that gets the ire of individuals and then adding that commentary. And so the add a boy, I mean, you're kind of looking at it, at it in a way of saying, well, what, what are you trying to say? good for yourself standing up or good for you for resisting arrest what what's the what's the context here especially with the nhl in the past year and the effort they took not only with the black lives matter uh, a, a, a protest but also aligning themselves saying you know what? we've got a lot of, lot of work to do here with really recognizing where the gaps are for our players and seeing uh, how other people live outside of the bubble of hockey but, you know, what's interesting here is that, you know, Ocean has a, a wide variety of things on his social media that are somewhat perplexing. He's traveled this past year. There's a lot of photos actually in the city of Vancouver uh, with groups of individuals. But interestingly enough, the, the uh, comments that we're highlighting here have actually two of them have been deleted. Um, and uh, in his own steps here, he's taking steps really kind of highlighting some information that uh, he's now really benefiting from alliances with rebel media, uh, people advocating for him. Now, in a good approach, he has he has said, hey, I'm not trying to raise any money here. So any GoFundMes and things like that, save your money. Don't try and give money away because I'm not collecting it. 
But well, and let's give him let's give him very clear credit for that too, because he was very clear saying, "Look, any fundraising done in my name is not me," and it, it, we can be critical of the posting as well. But I think we, it matters that we say that he has been very very clear uh, that he's he's not out to fundraise. So I want to give him credit for that part anyway. Yeah. yeah. Um, so there's been an awful lot of awareness around the NHL in the last couple of months anyway for behavior. Um, Arizona Coyotes, uh, Mitch Miller was, went through what he went through, um, for what he was charged with, with abuse, um, assaulting, a um, it was a, a young, what was it? It was a young black teen with disabilities is the way that they described it. And, um, and so there's been awareness around that. Is there, and, and then the, the Black Lives Matter conversation did not start out well for the NHL, and then they started to realize that, hey, we've got to be better at this. Whether they're there or not, time will tell, but they did start to change things in the long run. It, is it, is there going to be a hypersensitivity to this kind of behavior, do you think, now, in general, to online actions by players? I think when we see players align themselves with conversations that might not necessarily reflect their day to day. I mean, the reality it is, of it is they all went into the bubble. They all wore masks. They all talked about it in the sense of being, uh, you know, one of the leagues that really did find some success going through COVID with trying to end their season. But as we get to that next stage here of individuals commenta- commentating, um, the bigger thing is about social media education for their prospects. Like, what does it mean to have individuals who have their own uh, initiatives that really are maybe further away from what the brand of the NHL is trying to do, commentary that does become uh, toxic, that their fan base turns around. And honestly, I mean, each city is going to be different as well. And cities that don't have as much care for the NHL, if we go, let's say, to Phoenix, Phoenix itself is not really caring so much about the fact that, you know, the Coyotes lost a draft pick. But overall, if that happened in Vancouver, that would be entirely different. Uh, Mm -hmm. So realistically here, I mean, when we think about what Ocean's doing, Ocean's trying to position a conversation that I think is happening across Canada with ideas of state uh, state control, whether or not masks are are necessary for the fight of COVID. Um, But realistically, I think he's on the wrong side of the conversation. It's not necessarily being a benefit to his brother as as well, because it automatically drags his brother into the conversation where he's already having to highlight to his team, hey, this is my brother's issue and not mine. Uh, but as a whole, the NHL will probably have some dialogues about social media as, as we see the season kind of kick in, saying, you know, we're going to have to do more bubble work. Or we can't have people uh, commentating on whether or not masks are going to be good or bad for the conversation. And, you know, part of that probably is about how the NHLPA is going to highlight to their union members what's the best approach when you're talking about the things that we're, we're kind of trying to get over here because we need to get this season going. What about the owners? When you look at the story about Mark Donnelly in Vancouver, I mean, he was um, fired for his stance that he took. Um, and if you're a business owner running a NHL team and you're looking at this going, well, as it stands right now, we can't have fans in the arena until agree or disagree philosophically with what's going on. The government says we can't have fans until this is sorted out. Right. Number one path is to sort it out this way. And you're pushing against that. So, I'm I'm on the hook for a billion bucks. Yeah. So I want this to turn around here. So do the owners, you think, step into this little bit of these young prospects that, that have um, maybe been a little reckless online and, and have to go and say, look, you guys got to clean this up. This is my business at stake here. And if you want to be a part of it, you need to support that. Some owners, maybe it depends on the owner themselves, right? Some are so far removed from the business of what, what what happens in hockey, just because it's, it's a part of their portfolio, not necessarily as big as a, as an entity, like let's say in Vancouver, where we have an owner who's not only engaged in the community, but really also active on social media. We see the Aquilini group and the Aquilini ownership themselves. Uh, opening up more dialogue with the fans. And I think that's part of their their initiative. Uh, but when um, it was reported that Mark Donnelly was going to be singing at this anti-mask event, the, you know, the interesting thing is when Harrison Moody wrote the story and then it was Canucks anthem singer, and then you had the owner step in and say, actually, you should rewrite this to highlight former anthem singer. I mean, that was a public firing of a contract. Now, some people kind of stepped in and said, well, you can't do this. He's got freedom of expression. He's allowed to. You're a contracted singer to sing, you know, you know, two, three minute songs. 
and you're not necessarily an employee. You're just kind of showing up when they decide that they want you. Um, he's allowed to do that. He's allowed to terminate the contract. So within this, some ownership might actually be a little bit more harsh with their star players and saying, hey, we got to talk to your, you know, your agent group. We got to talk to your PR team. Uh, what are you willing to say publicly? What are we willing to kind of step behind and say, no, this is that player? But bubble players, uh, prospects, you know, people who are kind of fringe anyway, uh, might not get the same leeway. So it'll be interesting to see whether it comes from a general manager, those who are a little bit more, you know, firm in the way that they handle their teams and the other ones who are a little bit more, uh, uh, you know, we let the players, you know, you know, not have to wear a tie. There's the Brian Burks of the world. There's the, uh, um, uh, I can't even think of a, of a GM who's a little bit more laid back <laughs> these days because they yeah, all seem yeah. to be kind of dialed in. But that's the thing with hockey culture. It's really, it is really adapting. Uh, we're seeing Elias uh, Pe- uh, Pedersen in Vancouver, who's really trying to kind of establish himself in a brand. He's playing video games online. The Canucks seem to be okay with it. They're still making him very much a poster, a poster boy for the team. Whereas uh, other teams, you know, even when one of their players goes on spit and chiclets, they have to get all sorts of clearances because they're not too sure if they want that player and their team associated with Barstool. So there's a lot of things within um, the idea of cancel culture that are, you know, coming up within hockey. But ever since we saw the removal of Don Cherry, I mean, it's very divisive. It is very divisive. Jesse Miller, um, regardless, uh, it sucks to see a Canadian kid outside doing what he loves get in trouble for doing it for whatever reason, and especially to see it escalate. Uh, as well, because nobody wants to see that. We can all agree on that. Nobody wants to see anybody get in trouble for playing hockey. But this is the place we are at today, and these are all the rules that we sign up for. So, hey, can I highlight one one really important story here? Absolutely. You know, uh, right during the pandemic, when things were kind of like, what are we allowed to do? What are we not allowed to do? In Quebec, uh, we saw some boys playing basketball, and the police showed up to do a, a check to see who was who and what homes they were associated to. And the rules had just changed in Quebec based on outdoor play. And the young men were all black, uh, uh, francophone, uh, black young men playing basketball. And it was almost like a street check. And the thing is, that story, I think, kind of permeated for about a, a day or two and really didn't go anywhere. It kind of just faded off. They finally got an apology from Surrey to Quebec saying, you know, the rules had changed. We probably shouldn't have been doing this. And it was somewhat targeted. But the reality of this is that within hockey culture and, you know, what we're seeing with people saying online and saying our game, yada, 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 there is there is a a piece of this that is rooted in how individuals are perceiving what Ocean should have been allowed to do based on privilege. And and that right there is it. If he was not allowed to be with people outside of his home, uh, you know, he's getting together with his buddies and there are rules in place. You know, this is part of where that that toxic piece comes into it. You know, hockey doesn't get a pass because it's a national game and, you know, people should be allowed to get together in in the structure of what health orders look like. And so social media right now is just filled with people who really don't understand what's happening in communities. And and the realistic part of it is that the rules do change and people should be a little bit more open to listening to those who really are trying their best to enforce the laws. It doesn't mean that the cops are always right. It doesn't mean also the person who's screaming foul is right either. Yeah. And I would also add to that, that it's probably safe to assume that the person that came to work today and got a memo of what the rule update is might be a little bit more clear on the rules than me or Joe Blow, who read it on Facebook or heard it in line at the grocery store. Exactly. Worth throwing <laughs> out there. Thanks so much for the time, bro. Have appreciate a Merry it. Christmas. Okay. You too. All the best. Appreciate it. This is the Shift Podcast. Hey, Matt, how's the, uh, how's the moon dial? We good for an Are you okay? Uh, yeah, let me uh, just check here. Uh, hubba hubba. Got it. <laughs> hubba hubba. What are we going to do when Matt's off for the next couple of days for the moon dial? Hmm. Um, Can you pre-record some stuff or should we just like make a bunch of random noises and spook the board op who so has no idea what's going on? That I, would be mean. Um, I like option B. Um, I'm, I mean, I could just pre-record a bunch of just random noises into a microphone and uh, and and have at her, but that sounds like work, so I'm not going to do it. Yeah, we're not here for that. Very clear. Uh, I think Ryan, uh, that sounds like a responsibility that you'd like to take on. I think we'll uh, we'll get into that. <laughs> nice. It's, and are you okay? Sweet. It's easier than it looks. Yeah. Are you okay with embarrassing your kids? <laughs> Well, absolutely. Yeah, that's true. You're I I can't speak for Ryan, but I assume, you know, Shaner that you're you're the only member of this power trio that has uh offspring. It's true. I'm assuming. Oh yeah, I, I, oh yeah, I, as far as I know, I do not have a child and 
like to keep it that way for the foreseeable future. <laughs> as far as Ryan does not know, he does not have a little Ryan love child out there. Yes. That was a double negative. A good so boy. now I can't follow. Um, there, there was a time when I was a child when my parents would be at a Christmas party or something and they would be drinking and the party would be happening. And then it was something like the chicken dance or something. They're like, come and do that thing you learn in school. And then all the kids would be embarrassed. and They're like, do that thing you do. And then it's all embarrassing. So my parents did it to me. I say yes. Pass it on to the kids. Embarrass them. Be creative. And here's the clip. I know her. I know. Oh, my goodness. It's Elena. I know her. I know her. I know her. Here, have this. Wait, wait. I want to sing you a song. I want to sing you a song. Elena, I'm here. And I love you. I love you. I love you. I love you. I know you. You're on the naughty list right now. Oh my God. Elena. Papa Elf sent me. He told me that you have to get off his elf. Oh my goodness. Oh man. Wow. Okay. So as you might have imagined, uh, that is a dad who dressed up as Buddy the Elf. Now the part that you can't see in that was that was how he picked her up from school. Nice. <laughs> awesome. Uh, it, 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 here's the thing. That embarrassment totally goes away if the daughter plays along with it. Because then everybody walking by would be like, you know what? That's pretty wholesome. You know, you'd have to be kind of lame to not think that's very wholesome but i love it the fact that dad woke up that morning and went oh, i'm gonna do this is just yep. i love that so much putting on my yellow tights i'm gonna do this yeah beautiful <laughs> um and besides i mean who doesn't get enough use out of their yellow tights we all should right oh yeah absolutely mm-hmm. yeah well, all right are you okay are you okay with controlling the weather hmm that would be a cool power to have. Yeah, like oh, yeah. Storm from X-Men. Yeah, one of one of the more useful mutant powers, but that's a whole other, you know, conversation. That was a thing that I got <laughs> asked once um, where someone said to me, said, if you could have one power to control anything in the world, what would you control? It turned out it was a trick question. Her answer was water. Because then if you could control water, you control anything. Yeah. Ooh, big brain oh. move Whoa. right there. Big brain. <laughs> mind blown yeah okay are you okay with controlling the weather china is massively expanding its weather control project and is aiming to be able to control to cover half of the country with artificial rain and snow by 2025 the practice of cloud seeding was discovered in the u.s in 1946 by a chemist working for ge china launched its own similar program in the 60s generating artificial rain and snow is fairly simple in principle spraying chemicals like silver iodide or liquid nitrogen into clouds can make the water droplets condense They uh, all start to attract together and make drops. Uh, And it falls as rain or snow. We see it in Canada with cloud seeding for hail in Alberta. In June 2016, China allocated $30 million to its cloud seeding project and started firing bullets fired with salt and minerals into the sky. Oh, man. (laughs) This is starting to sound like a movie. Uh, 2017's Geostorm. Here's the clip. Thanks to a system of satellites, natural disasters have become a thing of the past. We can control our weather. Mr. President, one of our thermospheric satellites malfunctioned over Afghanistan. So your proposal is what? We shut down all satellites. I don't need to remind all of you how many people died from catastrophic climate conditions. Make sure there's no further incidents. Are you going back up to space? I'm coming back. Promise. This wasn't a malfunction. It was intentional. There's potential for catastrophic weather events on a global scale. A geostorm. That w- that was actually the the Chinese government's press release. That wasn't a movie. Trip. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> word for word, a geostorm. They had a narrator too, and everything like voiced it like a trailer. In a world where you can control anything. Like water, because <laughs> that was a big brain move. Oh like my it. goodness! Are you Spooky. okay? Are you okay with ice cream? Uh, yes. yeah. I know my wife is because she's got to get a root canal. And can only eat soft food. <laughs> you know what's bothering you today? 
Um, although though we bought one of those ice cream balls where you put in all the ingredients and then like the salt and the cream, and then you roll the ball around and it creates ice cream inside the ball, mm-hmm. which by the way, don't do that on your front lawn because it gets so cold. It kills the grass. Learned that. Oh, lesson learned. Yeah. So was anyway. it good though? Oh, it's amazing. Except for the lines okay. on the lawn. Yeah. Mm. Um, are you okay with vaccines? in your ice cream what chapman's ice cream in markdale ontario has ordered two ultra low temperature freezers and is ready to help with covid19 vaccine storage in ontario's uh, gray bruce region as the province continues to battle the second wave of novel coronavirus pandemic oh they're being helpful chapman's vice president ashley chapman said his company started to mobilize after hearing that pfizer covid19 vaccine needed to be stored at minus 70 he also said uh, he also estimates the ultra low temperature freezers will be able to store a combined total of anywhere between 100,000 and 120,000 vaccine doses at any given time. So they're helping out. Uh, here's an explanation of why the vaccine needs to be stored in freezers. Pfizer's vaccine uses new technology that requires different modes of storage and administration. First, the vaccine needs to be administered twice, 21 days apart. And it needs to be cold, really, really cold negative 94 degrees Fahrenheit cold. Normally, vaccines only need to be stored at 40 degrees. A Pfizer representative said that as soon as the vaccine begins to warm up, the mRNA component begins to fall apart and twist around in ways so that it doesn't become effective. The vaccine can be kept in an ultra low temperature freezer for up to six months, or can be kept for five days at the normal 35 to 46 degrees. I think it's a beautiful thing that Chapman's is willing to help out. I mean, hey, they've got an awful lot of freezer space. And if they're willing to do it, I think that's a fantastic leadership piece by a Canadian company. You know who else should maybe take note of this little process? I would say um, Loblaws, who got all those free freezers from the government. You know, the billion-dollar company, they got free freezers. Just saying. Put them to use, man. Yeah. Yeah, why not give back a little? You know, you got all the free freezer and fridge space that was uh, donated to you, you know, to help out the billion dollar company. Seems like a great, uh, great way to give back. I don't know. Maybe just me. Okay. We have one more uh, playful. Are you okay here that we need to do? We're going to talk about hockey stuff coming up shortly, by the way. Are you okay? Are you okay with silly Christmas songs? The novelty, silly, corny ones. Uh, yeah, especially if they're like weird and kind of off the beaten path. All right. So if, if you have they like, are tasteful. Okay. Tasteful. Okay. A grandma mm-hmm. got run over by a reindeer. Very tasteful. <laughs> Very, Very tasteful. Dominic the donkey. <laughs> I want a hippopotamus for Christmas. Mm-hmm. Bob and Doug McKenzie's 12 days of Christmas would be another fantastic one. I think they're very endearing. I know you want to hear them a million times, but I think that they're, they're magical. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Safe to say. And uh, well, how about this one? Courtesy of Matt MacArthur, McKenna Mendelssohn Mainline. Don't give me no goose for Christmas. Grandma on the shift. Good morning.
Podcast. I'd like to keep you in mind that we are not actors and we have never rehearsed this um, because that would be the smart thing to do. And since this is the dumpster fire of a show in 2020, the dumpster fire of a year, it seemed like the appropriate thing to try to do. We just uh, claimed that the MPs and uh, the party leaders were um, uh, very, they got a participation ribbon for their reading. So we're going to try and do our own here. Hit it, Matt. All right, so set us up, Ryan. What are we doing? We are going to be doing live action readings of classic scenes from Christmas Vacation. Matt MacArthur's favorite Christmas movie, one of his favorite movies, as he is going on his vacation. So we thought this would be a nice way to send him off into the holidays as all is well. So he also claims that he knows the movies almost front to back. So this is going to be a really good test to see, uh, to put that to the test. Uh, one quick note, our first scene that we're reading here, the infamous dinner scene, if mm. you know the movie, you know what I'm talking about. The mm. original script, which we have here, is not what is in the movie. Uh, we will play a clip of the movie later, but you'll get to hear what the dinner scene was originally supposed to go. It's pretty similar, but it's pretty good. So right. I will start off. I will be your narrator. So let's get this uh, Let's get this dinner rolling. Okay. <clears throat> Interior, dining room, close up, turkey. It's a magnificent 20-pound turkey, perfectly prepared, perfectly presented. A close-up on Clark. He looks up from the turkey with delight. Catherine, if your turkey tastes half as good as it looks, we're all in for a big treat. Save the neck for me, Clark. (laughs) Clark throws Eddie a tired glance. He puts his smile back on and prepares to carve the turkey. Clark puts a gleaming knife into the turkey. He punctures the hind end and a great gush of gas escapes. Everyone leans back from the table as the turkey sputters and coughs. The slit in the turkey skin flutters as the gas escapes. The legs slowly begin to rise up on their own. Everyone leans back. Clark, he's leaned back as far as he can go. His eyes are wide with alarm. And we go forward. He finishes through the debris and comes up with a can of freshly prepared poultry stuffing. Ed, did you make the dressing? I gotta confess, Clark, it's store-bought. Found it in the RV last night. All you gotta do is pop the top right off it and serve it up. Clark glances down at Ellen, seated at the other end of the table. She offers a stern, silent warning for him to keep quiet. We continue with the dinner. Clark has served everyone their turkey threads. He has an announcement. Since this is Bethany's 80th Christmas, I think she should lead us in the saying of grace. Bethany? What, dear? (laughs) Grace! Grace? She passed on, oh, 30 years ago. Ah, for the love of God and country, she won't wear a hearing aid because she says it makes her look old. They want you to say grace. And Bethany shakes her head, no, she doesn't get it. The blessing. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and the republic, republic for, for which, which it stands. stands. One nation <laughs> under God. <laughs> All right, here's our real dinner clip. scene. Let's do it. Okay. Before we begin, since this is Aunt Bethany's 80th Christmas, I think she should lead us in the saying of grace. What, dear? Grace! Grace! She passed away 30 years ago. They want you to say grace. The blessing! Hmm. 
pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands. One nation with liberty and justice for all. Amen. 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 <sighs> Catherine, this turkey tastes half as good as it looks. I think we're all in for a very big treat. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Save the neck for me, Clark. <laughs> okay, Eddie. I told you we put it in too early. Oh, it's just a little dry. It's fine. I told you. Here's the heart. Here's the heart. <laughs> <laughs> the sound is horrible. Oh it's neat to goodness. see how they wrote it and how they acted it out a little bit differently because yeah. this is the original script. All right, so let's do another one. Set the scene here, Ryan, because I think we have time to do one more for sure. Oh, we definitely do. All right, Clark Griswold, Griswold has been hoping to get a big bonus for Christmas so he can finally build a pool in his backyard. He finally has the check in hand. He lets out a strange high-pitched giggle, and then he turns deadly serious. The family stares at Clark, unable to understand his sudden change of spirit. Clark, what's wrong? He doesn't answer. He just stares at the piece of paper. Honey, is it bigger than you expected? Smaller? Well, what is it? A one-year membership in the Jelly of the Month Club. Oh, God, Clark. The family is knocked into silence by the news. That's a gift that will keep on giving the whole year. That it is, Edward. That it is indeed. Clark, I'm sorry. Well, this isn't the biggest bag over the head, punch in the face I ever got. God damn it! Listen, if any of you are looking for any last-minute gift ideas for me, I have one. Like Frank Shirley, my boss, right here tonight. I want him brought from his happy holiday slumber over there on Melody Lane with the other rich people, and I want him brought right here with a big ribbon on his head. I want to look him in the eye and tell him what a cheap, lying, no-good, rotten, four-flushing, no low-life, snake-licking, dirt-eating, inbred, overstuffed, ignorant, pus-oozing, blood-sucking, dog-kissing, brainless, dickless, heartless, hopeless, fat-ass, bug-eyed, stiff-legged, snotty-lipped, worm-headed, sack-of-monkey shit he is! Hallelujah! Holy shit! Where's the Tylenol? <laughs> <laughs> Yes, that was amazing. <laughs> All right, let's oh, get the clip. Oh. See how we did. Oh, my goodness. Whew. Clark, what's wrong? Honey. <laughs> it's bigger than you expected. <laughs> <laughs> Smaller? <laughs> what is it? It's a, it's a one year membership in the Jelly of the Month Club. <laughs> oh, God. Clark, that's the gift that keeps on giving the whole year. That it is, Edward. That it is indeed. I'm sorry, Clark. This isn't the biggest bag over the head punch in the face I ever got. God damn it! Son. If you are looking for any last-minute gift ideas for me, I have one. I like Frank Shirley, my boss, right here tonight. I want him brought from his happy holiday slumber over there in Melody Lane with all the other rich people. And I want him brought right here with a big ribbon on his head. And I want to look him straight in the eye and I want to tell him what a cheap, lying, no-good, rotten, four-flushing, low-life, snake-licking, dirt-eating, inbred, overstuffed, ignorant, blood- Sucking, dog-kissing, brainless 
Hopeless, hopeless, heartless, fat-ass, bug-eyed, stiff-legged, spotty-lipped, worm-headed sack of monkey shit he is. Hallelujah. Holy shit. Where's the Tylenol? <laughs> Legendary. Uh, legend. Yeah. Absolutely beautiful. This is fun. Uh, Christmas vacation. Because the uh, prime minister and all the other party leaders did their Christmas reading of their book, we thought we would do our, our own dumpster fire of a reading. And uh, here we are. <laughs> with Christmas vacation. So we have the original script, by the way. And so it might not be exactly how it was in the movie because the actors did some ad libs, but um, this is how it was written to be. And it's kind of neat to hear all the difference. We have time for one more. So uh, we should probably just uh, get started. What do you say? All good. Yeah. So Ryan, will oh, let's do it. Maddie will be Clark and um, I'll be um, cousin Eddie and I get to be Ellen too. Yeah. There you go. Double threat. All right. Do you want to uh, right, set me, us to set the stage here? There, I will guy? set the scene. So this right. is uh, Cousin Eddie getting a little too comfortable at the Griswolds. Rusty and the whole family are at the kitchen table. The kitchen looks like an army mess hall. Clark's standing at the window, looking out. Ellen walks in. Aren't you having breakfast? Not really in the mood. What are you looking at? The silent majesty of a winter's morn. The clean, cool chill of holiday air and an asshole in his bathrobe emptying a chemical toilet in my sewer. General's full! Unshaven in his bathrobe, black socks, brown loafers, a baseball cap with bare legs, a cigarette, is watching over a four-inch black plastic corrugated hose that runs from his RV across the lawn to the curb. Shitter was full! (laughs) Have you checked our shitters, honey? Clark, please. He doesn't know any better. He ought to know that's illegal. It's a storm sewer. Fills up with gas. I pity the person who lights a match within 10 yards of it. At the neighbor's house, Tom comes out the front door in sweats. He's on his way for a run, and he notices a strange odor, and he looks to Clark's house and sees Uncle Eddie. Merry Christmas. Shitter was fall. (laughs) Amazing. All right. Beautiful. Let's get the clip. What are you looking at? Oh, the silent majesty of a winter's morn, the clean, cool chill of the holiday air, and an asshole in his bathrobe emptying a chemical toilet into my sewer. Shitter was full! Ah, yeah. You checked our shitters, honey? Clark, please. He doesn't know any better. He ought to know it's illegal. It's a storm sewer. If it fills with gas, I pity the person who lights a match within 10 yards of it. Okay, you know my favorite part about this whole thing was Matt's tuba. That's that's essential to the whole scene. (laughs) That was the best part of all of it. This is the Shift Podcast. In case you missed it on the radio, here's Rhinoceros O'Donnell. Ding. Ding. Nice. Well timed there. Alrighty. We've been in the spirit of music a lot, I would say, over the past few shows. And uh, I've got some cool music that I want to share with you that I've found. So with 99% of my time spent at home, I've had plenty of time to find new music. And I stumbled across a very interesting genre that I would like to share with you. Okay, so it's called, and bear with me, Vaporwave. Ooh, all right. Vaporwave. Okay, so it is a micro genre of electric music, electronic music, sorry. It's also a visual art style and an internet meme at the same time. It uh, first kind of popped up in the early 2010s, and it was kind of conceptualized as a parody of people's nostalgia for the 1980s and 90s and culture of that. So people started making music to reflect those ideas. So what does this sound like? It is defined by slowing down, chopping up, and sampling Smooth jazz, elevator, R&B, and lounge music from the 80s and 90s. So you take a song that everybody knows, or you may have never heard of, you slow it down, add in samples, change the tempo and everything, and you have got a brand 
new song. So what does that sound like? I will give you an example. Here is a classic Michael Jackson song for some reference. This is Off the Wall. Classic. Like disco house, kind of nice. Well, oh, yeah. Well, that's in the underappreciated Michael Jackson disco age, uh, which is uh, very groovy. So now what happens if you alter it? This is a vaporwave artist who I've fallen in love with. Their name is St. Pepsi. They've changed it since to Skylar Spence, but now it is St. Pepsi. They took that song and turned it into com- something completely different. And this is called Enjoy Yourself. Pretty cool, eh? It's I kind of cool get idea. what they're going for. I'm not quite sure they've figured it out yet. Um, there's an air of just bad DJ doing too much, and but yeah. yet there's this kind of funky sample yeah. thing happening there. I mean, I, I don't know if they figured it out yet, but they sure are close. Sounds cool. So what I think is interesting about it is you take a song and just by simply slowing it down and just adding some samples and chopping it up, it com- it's a new song. It is groovy. You're right. It's yeah. It is. It is interesting. Like well, like when you slow down a piece of music, you you kind of make it a little more psychedelic. You kind of make it like the audio quality gets like grainier. So it, that mm-hmm. alone, that alone kind of adds to the sort of uh, like the the vapor wave kind of tag. It just this grainy sort of psychedelic sound. Oh, yeah. Um. Yeah. Michael Jackson sounds interesting. Slow down. He kind of sounds Slowed like down, right? Daryl Hall or something, but, huh. but, um, yeah, like it, it is interesting. Like it is still, you know, sampling and, you know, some people, you know, dump on sampling, you know, as being like not creative or whatever like that, but you know, just take a listen to the beastie boys, Paul's boutique, and then you'll, you'll know. Mm. Yeah. See sampling can, and look, I, don't get me wrong. I love the original. That is my favorite Michael Jackson album, but it's cool to see it in a different light. But there's actually more to this story because there is a subgenre of vaporwave, Ooh. and this one is for Shane. It's called a subgenre of a sunrise genre. A subgenre. <laughs> yeah, I know. I, I know. This. That's why. That's why I put an asterisk. You can't see what I'm doing with my fingers. You know, like Doctor Evil. Uh, this is called future funk, and what you do with future funk is you take classic funk and R and B songs. And you modernize the beats. You speed them up. You add more pieces of sampling and stuff. So here's another St. Pepsi song. This one's called Better. It has been remixed in the sampling of this song. There are Mario Kart sounds. There's classic TV shows. There's a whole lot going on. But it is funk key. So let's hear it. Very, very funky, but it is a less of a change from the original, which if you're not familiar with that song, also a great song. It is the 1980 classic, I Can Make It Better by The Whisperers. So here's the original. bit more classic it's a little bit more original so it's just taking it and reimagining funk for new audiences i'm all for it 
So there's my music uh, digest I like for it. the day. I like it. I'm glad, I can do, I like, yeah. I'll give it a shot. I like yeah. it. Anything with disco and the funk, I'm I'm all over giving it a try. Love it. I'll send you a playlist. Yeah, no, that's 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 really cool. And like, um, you know, I love subgenres of subgenres of subgenres. So, you know, if you're yeah, a, exactly like if you're a metal fan, then you know what what I'm talking about there. <laughs> and the you know, forty different kinds of black metal. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, out of the corner of my eye, I noticed you know a text on the text line that says, "Why not just produce some original music?" Yeah, like. You know, you can do that, but there is some creativity. Well, there's a lot of creativity with taking, mm-hmm. you know, your raw material from somewhere that has its own kind of inherent sonic quality and then taking that sonic quality, you know, throwing either, you know, new beats or just new production or slowing it down or just doing like weird psychedelic stuff with it. You know, that has some creative merit as well, rather than just making something new. Also, yeah. it's really, really hard to make something new. Did you notice that? Yeah, <laughs> it's right. Very well, people hard have been pinching new. stylistically forever, right? I mean, inspired by, uh, mentored by, all that stuff for sure. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Rob on the text line says, "Sounds like someone ate a song and threw up." Let's let's listen. <laughs> to- <laughs> I mean, maybe, but I dig it. It's it's I not get for, the funk, man. It's not check for it everybody. out, Saint. It's not for everybody, and I totally understand that. The album is called Hit Vibes by St. Pepsi. Check it out. It's very uh, it's very fun. And uh, I'll get a quick hit here on the winter solstice because it is happening uh, technically almost in, in about 20 minutes. It's going to happen. The, the solstice officially begins, which means it's the longest night of the year. Uh, so, but th- that doesn't really matter. What matters is the, it is being called, I believe the great alignment, uh, the, sorry, the great conjunction. Ooh, big word there. It is really a once in a lifetime event. This is insane that we get to witness it. If you care about this kind of stuff. So what is happening is Jupiter and Saturn will be so close in the night sky that they will basically look like the same object and create a huge glowing light and which many people have considered to be the actual star of david in the uh, story of the bible and all that so this is really interesting now if you have a pair of binoculars you can go outside and see this right now look to the southwest horizon if you have an unobstructed view uh, all you need is a pair of binoculars uh, or a telescope if you have that but what makes this so insanely rare is this happens every 20 years but most of the time they're not as close and the next time we'll see this as close as it is right now is in 800 years if you don't care about going online to see it or outside to see it you can watch a live stream of it happening with a much clearer image but uh, i looked outside uh, i thought i saw jupiter but it was just a street lamp <laughs> it was a little, a little <laughs> i've had nights like those so Thanks for listening to The Shift Podcast. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review the show and share with anyone you like. Get it on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and CuriousCast.ca.